motivate people to have these conversations earlier. You know, the number one reason for doing that, for planning ahead, is that it creates choice and it gives you more control over the outcome of what might happen. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. Helping financial advisors and their clients have deeper, more meaningful conversations so that life changes are better connected to financial plans. To find out more, visit DrAmy.life. Today, I am with Dr. Jennifer Pilchner. She is a PhD. Obviously, she's a doctor in gerontology, and she earned that doctorate in 2005. Her professional experience has focused primarily on care and housing arrangements for elderly with Alzheimer's and related dementia. In 2018, she founded her firm, Clear Guidance, as a way to get back to her passion of working directly with families. Clear Guidance offers consultation and care management for clients and families facing issues around cognitive impairment, dementia, and mental health diagnosis. Now, if that doesn't sound like she spends her day having awkward conversations, I don't know what does. So today we are talking about awkward conversations, especially family conversations about aging. So welcome, Jennifer, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pleased to be here. Yes. So your background and your experience is so impressive. You have a PhD, like I said, in gerontology, but I'm wondering how did you get involved in this field and what makes you passionate about working with seniors and their families? I love this question. Um, It really was inspired by personal experience, which I think you hear from a lot of people that are involved in this kind of work. Um, When I was about seven years old, my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. She was in her 50s at the time, and this was the 1980s. So we knew a lot less than we know now about how to manage these diseases. I, I watched them go through this process, my, my grandmother and my grandfather, and he was devoted to her and was committed to caring for her at home. They made all the typical mistakes um, that many families made then and still make now. He hired the housekeeper to be the caregiver who then walked off with some of the family heirlooms. Oh, yikes. Um, no. When she stopped being able to walk, he carried her from room to room because his house would not accommodate a wheelchair. As a result, uh, he ended up having a heart attack and predeceasing her, which was devastating both to my family, but also in terms of her care. At that point, we as a family were really uh, forced with no other option than to place her in a nursing home. 
And at the time this happened, I was in college and I was a very impressionable young person. And I, I, having watched all this go down, I said to myself, there has got to be a better way to do this. And I want to be part of creating that. So at the beginning of my career, I started by getting an internship and a volunteer position at the Alzheimer's Association while I was still in college. And that really began my career long passion of working with people with Alzheimer's dementia and related disorders. So it really was a combination, both of a personal experience that inspired me to do this work. And then once I got into it, acknowledging the vast need and the impact that I could have was really exciting for me. Well, I am thankful that you got into this career. You know, one of the things that I think the audience should know is that Jennifer and I met in a networking group. However, uh, my family recently went through a crisis that involved elder care and clear guidance has really been uh, exactly what the name says, clear guidance to help us wade our way through the maze. And, you know, just like a lot of folks, we hadn't talked with one side of the family about what was going to happen as uh, people aged. And so we had to handle it all in a crisis. Now, I always encourage when I'm talking to financial advisors or when I'm talking to uh, groups of women, that I always encourage them to have these aging conversations up front to break money silence around aging. But often it happens in a crisis. So I don't think my family is the exception to the rule in terms of it happening in a crisis. So Jennifer, what are the advantages of maybe pushing yourself to have this awkward conversation up front? And why do you think it typically happens in a crisis as opposed to uh, in a more planned out manner? Yeah, I, you know, I do want to reassure you, Kathleen, you are not alone. Many families are either, you know, because of a lack of discussion or just circumstances forced into a crisis situation. And that certainly is a place where we can come in. But we really, like you, are really hoping to motivate people to have these conversations earlier. You know, the number one reason for doing that, for planning ahead, is that it creates choice and it gives you more control over the outcome of what might happen. I recognize these are not easy topics to address. It requires a person to be vulnerable and to face the reality of getting older. Many families we work with say, I wish I had spoken to you years ago. The best example I like to give about planning ahead is the example of creating, let's say in the financial world, a power of attorney document, right? These are documents that allow you to decide who's going to make decisions for you about or about your money if you can't at some point in the aging process. However, if you don't think about this and proactively assign someone to do that, a legal process or a court will have to determine who makes your decisions, leaving you with no choices or control over who manages your finances. So this is a good example of something we sort of universally accept as a good idea to have a power of attorney ahead of time. And it's a good example of how it gives you more control and more choice later on in the process. So planning ahead gives you the advantage of knowing what your choices are and how you can put things in place to make sure those things happen. If you aren't aware of your choices or don't plan ahead, 
about how to put your choices into action, you can lose control of the process. And I think this is something we don't think about very often and is an important point when you're trying to get families to have these conversations earlier. Everyone wants to have choice. Everyone wants to have control. It's something we can all relate to. Well, and what is interesting is recently in a, our previous series on the podcast, I had Maggie Lopez on and we were talking about how millennials should get estate planning documents, including the power of attorney. And I was fortunate that I grew up in a family, uh, my family of origin, where dad talked about the estate planning all the time. You know, at times we'd roll our eyes and be like, oh, dad, do we have to have this conversation? But in, you know, flash forward and very thankful that I took that knowledge to uh, my in-laws and encouraged them to get powers of attorney with my mother-in-law. And that really was a big piece that was very, very helpful. Now, there's lots of other pieces that we need to put into play, but that piece was really helpful. So what you're saying is do the legal documents. When is the time to call you versus when is the time to call like an estate attorney? That's a very good question. So often people are acknowledging the need for estate planning long before they think about needing us. And so I think that is appropriate earlier when you're not experiencing a diagnosis or an illness that you're facing to start with the estate planning stuff. But the piece that can be really useful, and I actually just had a call just like this earlier today, is to think with your estate planner about what the potential cost of care could be, especially if you have a family history of something like Alzheimer's or dementia in your family. You want to be thinking about what might I have to pay for? What would that look like? And how should those assets be structured? So not just how am I gonna make my money grow or protect it for future generations, but how might I need to use it for my own care? And so people like me will often give short-term consultations or you know, short-term engagements with folks that are planning ahead for their aging, even if they don't have a diagnosis or an illness that they're dealing with at the moment. Certainly, it makes sense to everybody, once we have a diagnosis, then we should be talking to someone about what care would look like. But I think we could be even better prepared if we were more proactive about these discussions earlier on in life, when we're setting up our retirement savings and thinking about how much money we will need for retirement. Well, I think as individuals, we can do a better job, and as families, and certainly financial professionals, estate planners, it was eye-opening to find out the cost of care and, and the limited resources that are out there for someone, you know, even somebody who has limited funds. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to talk with Dr. Jennifer Pilchner a little bit more about the cost of care, and then what are the action steps you can take in order to start to plan today and avoid that crisis tomorrow. We'll be back in a minute. Hi, this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I just wanted to tell you about a new exciting program. It's for business owners. Because many business owners, we spend so much time delivering our products and services, but we fail to set up a system to actually make sure we get paid every month. You deserve 
to get paid every month. If you broke money silence and you ask for your fee, then it's time to figure out how to put financial policies and procedures in place in your business so you can continue to earn what you are worth. So I have developed a course called It's Time to Get Paid. It takes you through how to contract, how to set up a payment policy, and ultimately how to collect accounts that are past due. So I think you should check it out. It's only $27. It's a great investment for your firm. And if you are new to business or struggling in getting paid what you are worth, then it is time to check out It's Time to Get Paid. Go to courses.breakingmoneysilence.com and check out the details. Hey, it's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury with the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Today, I am talking to Jennifer Pilchner. She is the founder of Clear Guidance, and we're talking about that awkward conversation about aging and senior care. And before the break, we were talking about the cost of care. So Jennifer, enlighten the audience as to what is covered in, you know, for elder care when it comes to either your insurance or other kind of plans that you put into place. Right. Uh, so not to be the bearer of bad news, but really there is very little that is covered by traditional health care, even including Medicare, which people often uh, think about when they think about elder care. So it's really important that the consumer have an understanding of the cost of care. I, I was telling Kathleen earlier that I, I am surprised by how many times people ask me what is covered by their health insurance, and they're shocked when they find out that the bulk of the cost of elder care is self-pay. And so knowing this planning and saving accordingly is crucial to having access to the benefits and the services we will need as we age. I hear so many people say to me, well, my kids are going to take care of me. Mm. And having been through it on, you know, my mom had Alzheimer's and ultimately died of colon cancer. And um, now we're dealing with Alzheimer's with my father. And then on, you know, my mother-in-law's side, some dementia. And I think to myself, I don't know. I don't have kids, so I can't 100% say for sure. But part of me feels like that's not a good plan. Like you might bankrupt your kids. Yes. Well, that's true. It's also true that, you know, adult children these days are going to be working a lot longer um, than their parents were. That's just the reality. People are living longer. We're going to need to save more for retirement. So the idea that your adult child is going to be able to retire from their career to take care of you is probably not a very realistic picture or that your child is going to have the finances to not only be planning ahead for their own care but also paying for yours is is really a tricky thing uh, to be relying on much more important for you to take control of your own aging and to be able to be aware and that doesn't mean if you're a person that doesn't have a lot of resources and we can talk about that a little bit you know if you're someone that can't afford uh you know an advisor like me every town in massachusetts has what you call an aging access point or elder services and you can go online and you can google what's the elder services provider in my town or you can go to mass.gov and 
Google Access Aging Point, and you'll find out what is the provider in your geographic area. And then you should call them up and ask about what services you might be eligible for before you know thinking about hiring a consultant, because it may mean if you have limited funds or if you have really no funds that you're eligible for, for quite a few services that might be available to you. That's a great idea. And for those listeners who are outside of Massachusetts, I imagine that there's typically something like that in every state where, you know, there's elder care services. So it's probably just a Google away and, and a great idea. Now, last question about finances. What about the folks out there that are debating about long-term care insurance? And I know, you know, you obviously are not a seller of long-term care insurance, which, but I'm just curious, what are your thoughts about going that route? Yeah, it's a great question. We get asked that a lot, actually. It's interesting because it's changed. If you'd asked me this question 10 or 12 years ago, I might have instantly said long-term care insurance is a good idea um, and a good investment. The truth is that the difference between long-term care insurance and any other kind of insurance you might buy is that your likelihood of using the policy is pretty high. And providers have figured this out. So the long-term care insurance providers have said, gee, you know, this is costing us a lot more money than we thought. And as a result, these policies have gotten much more expensive over the years. So I think it's worth considering. It's always worth considering. But you want to talk with your insurance provider or your state planner about what that policy is likely to pay out uh, on the end of um, the policy once you've submitted a claim. Because I think that is where you really can figure out the value for your investment. So the more flexible the policy, the more valuable it is. Um, so the policies that we see that are really wonderful are that allow you to choose home care or assisted living or nursing care that allow for there to be um, an increase every year in the amount that's given to you. And so you really wanna look through the fine print on these long-term care insurance policies and get some advice about which policies are better than others. We actually did that with our financial advisor and the chart and the graph was overwhelming. Yeah. So I certainly encourage people to take it a step at a time and, and work with somebody who's really into charts and graphs and fine print, because uh, that was that was helpful for my husband and myself. Just one more thing on that, Kathleen. Sure. There's another product, which is a life insurance product that can convert to long-term care. And so if you're sort of debating between should we invest in life insurance or should we invest in in long-term care insurance, there may be a compromise there somewhere that might be worth looking at if you're a person that can't afford to invest in both. Something oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So one of the things I would encourage, and we can certainly put some links in the show notes, is to really look at not only the elder care services, but also, you know, insurance possibilities. And then, you know, the other thing that I hear uh, from advisors that I work with is the idea of self-insuring, which basically is investing and putting it aside and making sure it's there for you. But I want to get back to the family and the awkward conversation as we kind of wind down. So suppose you are in a medical crisis and you haven't had this awkward conversation around aging. 
Uh, side note, if we all had the conversation around age and planning, it wouldn't be awkward anymore. That's my two cents worth. <laughs> so I don't want to reinforce that it should be awkward. But say the medical crisis hits. Uh, what is the first thing a, a family or an adult son or daughter should do if that happens with their parent? So if you haven't had the conversation with your parent about aging, I'm going to give you a few uh, sort of clinical things to think about and then also some sort of legal and financial things to think about. So if the, if the crisis occurs, the first thing I want to say is get advice and help sooner than you think you need it. The healthcare system is really designed at this moment to stabilize you and then figure out what the next step is very quickly. So families are often surprised by how little time their, their parent or their loved one will actually spend in the hospital before the hospital is asking them about returning to home or going to rehab or some other choice. And so we like to use the phrase, start thinking about discharge upon admission. So the first thing I would say is when you have this kind of a situation, you need to think quickly about what would life look like if things didn't get a lot better in the hospital, because you may not have a lot of time to do that planning. The other thing I think is important, if you haven't had discussions with your parent about what their wishes are for their care or for their end of life, and you have a medical crisis that is really accentuating it, it is time to have those conversations. There is often when you are in a medical situation, either a hospital or a doctor's office, and you have a diagnosis, they may begin to talk to you about documents you want to put in place. And the one that is most typically used at this point is called a MOLST. And this is used not only just in Massachusetts, but around the country. In some places, it's called a POLST, P-O-L-S-T. And this is a document that the doctor would do with your parent to talk about what their wishes would be. And I think that is a great way to have the conversation start in the medical realm and then you can bring it back to the family. But you as the adult child don't have to instigate the conversation. It can come from a medical provider. And sometimes that can ease the conversation and help you to be a part of listening and hearing um, what's going on. If your parent has not done estate planning or thought about their documents or anything like that, if you have a medical crisis, that is the time to get in touch with an elder law attorney or someone like me to say, what do we need to be thinking about and putting in place, knowing that we're coming into a time of life where we may have multiple medical providers, we may have hospitalizations and rehab stays that we need to think through so that you can have someone help navigate between those different areas. The healthcare system and the elder care system are very siloed, they're very divided. And so for the average person, it's very hard to figure out how the different levels of care all go together and how you get from one to the other. That's a really important time for you to reach out uh, to the case manager at the hospital, if there's a social worker as well, if there's a social worker associated with a medical provider, that's another person that can be a support. And of course, people like me um, who guide families through these challenges all the time. 
Yes. So that's great advice. You know, I think there's so much to this awkward conversation. There's so much. But what I am hoping is that our generation is starting to kind of break the silence around it. And my hope is that the next generation will continue to do a better job. And I certainly am very thankful for your time and your expertise to come and share it with my audience. And I would love for people, Jennifer, to know more about your firm and more about where they can find you, because I imagine they might have questions for you or someone like you in their area. Absolutely. So first, let me give you information about my firm. And then for those of you that are across the country, I want to give you some information about where you can find a person like me in your local area. Um, so our website is www.clearguidance.org. And there's a lot of information on the website about what we do and our activities in the community as well. There's a blog where I write a lot about my personal as well as my professional experiences. And I, I welcome you to, to check that out. We do consulting across the country and also hands-on work here in Massachusetts and also in Westchester County in New York. But, you know, sometimes you really need a local person that can help you with resources. And so um, I would encourage you to go to my National Trade Association's webpage, which is aginglifecare.org. And what you want to do is click on the button that comes right up and says, find a care manager. You put in your zip code and it'll give you all of the people in that area um, that do this kind of work and their credentials. And so if you're looking for help, that's the best resource where you can find it. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Pilcher. It's been great to chat with you and I am forever grateful uh, for you helping my family break money silence. And now today for breaking money silence with the audience about aging and senior care. Thank you so much for having me. This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. Helping financial advisors and their clients have deeper, more meaningful conversations so that life changes are better connected to financial plans. To find out more, visit dramy.life. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.